Welcome to the Developing Leaders Impacting Kids podcast, a podcast all about sharing ideas, tips, and strategies to help you develop as a Kidman leader. Thanks for listening to today's episode, featuring a favorite presentation from one of our training experiences. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and institutes of children's ministry, visit our website, cogop.org slash children. today about discipling world changers. I'll be really honest with you, you're getting kind of a sneak peek of book number two, and I've only sneak peeked this to just a couple other people, uh, other groups, other groups I should say. So uh, my first book is actually for sale in the bookstore there. It's called Missing, an Urgent Call for the Church to Rescue Kids. And this uh, next book will be called Discipling World Changers. As soon as I finish all my paperwork for the publisher. It's exhausting, you guys. Plus, I just got engaged two months ago. I just have to say that because, I mean, really, I love to attest to a miracle, and I need you to know that the Lord works miracles. And so I am engaged in getting married um, in le- just less than four months. We, we were at four months two days ago, but we're pretty excited. So, so I will also tell you that the love bubble is real, and I'm in it, and I can't see my way out yet, and I'm dumb as a brick in the love bubble. So So I'm hoping it comes, pops doesn't go away, you know, but just that I get my brain back. So anyways, discipling world changers. So my idea with this is, okay, so can we agree that the world is difficult? It is, right? Okay, the world is hard. Do you see a trajectory where it's getting any easier? No, it's not, right? Like, if we're really honest, we just go, man, this is just getting worse and worse and worse. Every time you turn the TV on, you're like, oh, But God's not surprised by that, right? I love that we serve a God who doesn't say oops. It's one of my favorite characteristics of God, that he never looks at the world and goes, oh boy, well, oops. He sees what's going on, and not only that, he sees yesterday, today, and forever. He sees what's going to happen. He sees how he's going to do the work here, how he's going to do the work here. And I don't believe that God's washed his hands of us. And so the idea here is what if we raise up a generation of kids who happen to the world instead of the world happening to them? What if we raise up a generation of kids who change the world instead of the world changing them? Right? Do you understand what that would look like? It would shake the world. I mean, it would totally just totally confuse everyone. Because what happens is this. Let me show you a few things that kids will have written. Um... This first one says, dear Lord, let's see, Renee, can you, there you go. Dear Lord, I want to figure out how Jesus is going to use me in this life because I can't figure it out. I tried to devote my life to Jesus and I have, but nothing has really happened. I need faith not to give up. All right, how cute is this child? Don't you just want to be like, oh baby, it just gets worse. (laughs) You're 10, you're just 10 You think you can't figure it out now. Wait, wait till you get to our age. But she's saying, I just want to know. Here's the reality. God has given kids this beautiful heart for him. Beautiful heart. Next one says this. God, are you real? Will you show me? There's something awesome about a kid who with no holding back speaks to the creator of the earth and asks him to prove himself. I love that. I love that. And you know what? They're not afraid of lightning bolts. They're not afraid. And in fact, I think God delights when a kid asks him like that. Are you real? Will you show me? And you know what I do as an adult? I just step back and watch. I'm like, oh, that's going to be fun. Go ahead, Lord, do it. 
Because you know what? If I try to show them that God's real, they become a disciple of me. I don't need that. So I go, God, you prove yourself. Next note says this. My parents are divorced and keep fighting, and it is very hard for me to see. Our kids are growing up in homes that are broken. Our kids are growing up in a world that is broken. Our kids are growing up where they're not sure what a marriage looks like. Is it a mom and a dad? Is it a mom and a mom? Is it a dad and a dad? What does it look like? And, and what is family? I don't know. And we can lament the fact, and can I just be really honest, church? We spend way too much time lamenting and not enough time working with what God's given us to work with. I am so sick and tired of going places where we complain about where the world is at. Yes, it's hard, but you know what? We serve a good God. Move on. Move on. Let's tune our ear to his voice and say, God, how do you desire to use me in the midst of the mess? So this is what kids are dealing with, right? My parents are divorced. They keep fighting. It's very hard for me to see. Next one is this. This kid can't spell, bless him. That was right for my dad to move far away and that we don't get to see him that much. I will trust God. Where I find my greatest hope, other than in Jesus Christ, is the fact that there is within all of us a desire to know God and to make him known. And for some reason, I think it's because kids are innocent, and I think it's because the world hasn't hit them in the face yet, and I think even if the world has, they have just this, this beautiful optimism, don't they? If the world's going to be changed, it's not going to be through us. It's going to be through kids. Our job is to disciple them. Our job is to come alongside them because something shifts in kids. Have you seen it shift? They come with a heart like this going, oh, God, I want more of you. God, do this. And then suddenly they begin to hate God. They begin to go, you're not relevant. Then they walk away. That's not on the kid. Honestly, you guys, that's on us who teach these kids. That's on us. So how do we teach them? How do we disciple them? What does that look like? I'm going to give you a few just basic statistics that if you want to go back to your church and you want people to get on board with children's ministry, you give them these statistics. Are you ready? I'm giving you pure gold, okay? You take this to your lead pastor who's like, well, it's nice that you went to North Carolina, but not necessary. And you go, "Uh uh-uh, let me tell you. First one is this. By the age of five, a child's lifelong concept of God has been formed. Just let that sit for a minute. By the age of five, a child's lifelong concept of God has been formed. Okay, what, is, just, what does that do to you? <laughs> Some of you look a little shell-shocked or ill, actually. Here's the, here's the interesting thing. This, this, con- this idea right here is not even a Christian idea. This comes from developmental psychology. This is how the brain is actually wired and how it's formed and how it's doing this growth and how God created it. So God has so intricately designed us and he's so intricately designed these little tiny brains that they begin to put all these, all these connections together. So by the age of five, their lifelong concept of God has been formed. Now, these same psychologists and scientists will say that it's irreversible. And I always say, oh, no, no, you don't know the God that I serve. Amen? Aren't you so glad we serve a God that doesn't go, happy birthday, you're six. Sorry about the rest of your life. Like, I am so glad that we serve a God who says, I create new stories all the time. Right? I take ashes and I make beauty. I'm so glad. I'm so glad, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. The basis for what they believe about God comes as a just a little, little itty bitty. How many of you work with itty bitties? 
Okay, how many of you would rather eat, you know, a frog than work with the itty bitties? <laughs> My hand is up, okay? They're very small. Have you noticed that? <laughs> very small. Things are always coming out of one part of them or another. You cannot have a conversation with them. My niece called me not too long ago. She's three. Auntie Mo, can you come pick my booger? <laughs> What's the matter with that child? That's not a conversation. She thought she was hilarious. I called her mom and said, something's wrong with your kid. That's disgusting. But you, you can't sit down and have a conversation with them. But here's the reality. That doesn't matter. God is at work in them. So just because I don't necessarily love that age, and you know what? I don't have to work with that age, but I better be equipping the people who are going to do well with them to work with them. When I go and recruit, when I'm recruiting at my home church, wherever this looks like, what I do is I talk about this. So I'm giving you gold. You ready for this? You get up and you say this. You know, we all do that. How many of you could use another volunteer in your ministry? Yeah, right? Amen. <laughs> A lot of times we get up and go, look, God has given us 35 children and we are blessed. We are so blessed. But I have not had a break in 15 years. <laughs> Grandma Lois went into the nursery 35 years ago. We haven't seen her since. <laughs> we need you to serve. The kids need you. Have you did, you've done that, right? Or you've seen that done. I was at a church where they passed around a clipboard, and I am mocking the clipboard. So if you do the clipboard, shame. Stop it. So they passed around the clipboard, and they said, we need people in the nursery, and we're not letting you out till that clipboard's filled. I was visiting. I filled it out because I was hungry. I wanted to go to lunch. I'm like, it's filled. Praise the Lord. And then I told the I was consulting. So I was like, hey, poor life choice right here. You don't want people to just, want, oh, yeah, I guess I want to eat. I'll sign up on a clipboard. But when you get up and you say, you guys, did you know that we have five new babies in our nursery? We're so excited about how God's growing our family here at the church. Did you know that when you serve in our nursery and you hold a baby, all you have to do is hold them. And as you hold them securely, they begin to understand that the God who created them loves them and holds them securely. So when you hold our babies, you're not babysitting. You're imprinting the face of God on them. I get goosebumps just saying that. Some of you are crying, right? Those of you that don't like babies are like, I will serve the babies, right? I get it. I mean, I just, I do. I get goosebumps thinking about that. That's how you recruit people. This is about discipling world changers, this is not just about, oh, man, another kid was born. Better take care of it. This is, I get to imprint the face of God on this little one. Man, when I serve these toddlers and they eat Play-Doh and I try to stop it, I get to imprint the face of God on them, the very character of God. It's amazing. By the age of five, a child's lifelong concept of God has been formed. And we serve a God who makes new things but if you've been through any sort of counseling or therapy, you also know that most often you have to go back and deal with your childhood because that's where the foundation is laid. So it's a reality. What I love about God is I have watched people come out of these foundations that nothing should be built on, right? And God says, forget it. I build a new foundation. You know, I love that he does that. But boy, I love it even more when we get to start from the very beginning very beginning, building a solid foundation. Next slide is this, age 12, another important age. Before the age of 12, kids are deciding what they believe. 
Okay, so before the age of 12, they're taking in information. They're like, okay, okay, okay. After the age of 12, they start to defend it. How many of you have raised a teenager? Oh, you deserve extra dessert at lunch today. You've raised a teenager. Have you seen that change in them? I was on a plane and I'm always on a plane, but I was on a plane probably four or five years ago, and I was reading my magazine. I was sitting next to two men, and I like to eavesdrop because it's fun, and so I'm nosy, and so I don't anymore. Now that I fly so much, I put my headphones in and try to look mean so no one will talk to me, um, but they're talking, and the one goes, I think my kid has a demon, and I was like, well, this is going to be good. <laughs> I'm like, let me move my hair away from my ear so I can hear it. And he said, you know, uh, he used to like me. And I would come home and he'd, daddy, daddy. And we'd go and play football. And he was so excited to see me. Now he doesn't want anything to do with me. He's always in his room. And the other guy goes, my daughter has the same demon. <laughs> and at this point, I thought, I'm just going to intervene for a minute. And so I said, it's not a demon. It's adolescence. And they're, they're both their kids are like 14. What happens is a, a teenager's number one job in life is to figure out who they are. That's their job. So they're trying on all these different things, and what they start to do is they defend stuff that they shouldn't be defending. Have you ever watched someone defend, like, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this here, but crap? Like, (laughs) defend stuff? That's allowed here? Oh, yes, I got a witness on that (laughs) from my buddy Rick. (laughs) But have you watched them defend stuff, and you're like, no, this carpet is clearly green, and they will go to the death saying it's a different color. And it's not because they're stupid. It's because they're trying to figure out who they are. Before the age of 12, the number one reason I do kids ministry is because before the age of 12, I get to help them decide what they believe. I get to build this foundation that sinks deep into their very souls. That gets me excited. Boy, I like that. There's nothing wrong with youth ministry. I love teenagers. I work with teenagers. I mentor teenagers. Love it. But what I really love is the preventative work (laughs) over here. And I really believe, man, if we did better preventative work over here, and if we did better solid foundation building over here, our churches would be healthier. Honestly, I think we'd have fewer divorce care ministries. I think we'd have fewer AA programs. On and on and on it goes. And church, it's on us. We cannot sit back and go, that's someone else's job. That's our job. Let's disciple them from the very beginning from the very, very beginning. So let me ask you this. Let's go to the next slide. What is the world telling our kids about God? I want you actually to look at each other for a minute, group up maybe for in like three or four people. What is the world telling our kids about God? You have one minute. Make it quick. All right, you're very obedient. At the one minute mark, you started to get quiet. This is a nice group. In my breakout sessions, I couldn't get you to be quiet. So this is good. Tell me, speak out loud to me, what is the world telling our kids about God? He doesn't exist. There is no God. What else? He's a downer. 
I love that. I mean, I don't love that at all. <laughs> but that, I haven't thought of that. That's so, He's a downer. What else? He, he doesn't care about me. He does nothing. Oh, yes. He doesn't matter. It's all about me. Yeah. What else? Just a theory. Is that what you said? One of many. There's different ways to him. Yeah. Anything else? <laughs> One guy said, he's God. You ain't my God. Amen. What's that? Coexistence. Yeah. Okay, so the world is coming at our kids pretty loudly, right? And do you have, have you seen when, even when kids go to school, they can be in kindergarten, first grade, they're immediately getting an anti-God message. We've heard that from Kathy. We've heard that from, um, who spoke yesterday? Thank you, Dale. I was going to call him Doug. Doug, my good buddy, Doug. Sorry, Dale. We're Facebook friends and I can't remember it. Um, you know, and so that we're hearing all these messages. And here's what I think, and I'm going to be really bold saying this. I think the church has not done a great job of preparing our kids for those messages. I really don't. I think it's been more of a, you know, and I've, I've never been in the war and I never will because, you know, blood is gross. But I have never been in a battle, but I do know this, that if you spend all your time in the battle in the bunker, um, nothing really gets done. And a lot of times what I think we do in our ministries is we treat it like it's a bunker in the war. So we say, come in, come in quick and hide for a little bit. In fact, you're here for, the, for an hour this week. Did you know you're a regular attender in the United States at church if you come twice a month? You're considered a regular attender. Again, we can spend time lamenting over that or we can go, all right, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with that? So we treat, we go, come on, you're here. We got two hours with you this month. Let's get you in here. Let's protect you. Let's give you a shot, maybe inoculate you, and then send you back out. And then they go out kind of like, what? and then the world comes at them again. I think for too long, we've given kids marshmallows to go into battle. I really do. I think there's like, okay, here's a, I was speaking at a camp about six years ago and uh, in the middle of the night, apparently there was all this spiritual warfare. I didn't really notice. I got up to go to the bathroom because I'm 9,000 years old, apparently. And I had one kind of like uneasy moment and I just prayed, right? I just prayed the blood of Christ. Good to go. Went to sleep, slept like a baby. Wake up the next morning and the staff is gathered and they're haggard. And they're like, how'd you sleep? And I'm like, good morning, campers. I slept good. And they're like, did you feel anything? I'm like, no, no, I don't think I did. I use the restroom in the middle of the night. And they said, well, we just were doing, we were doing battle all night long. You know, we just, there was, you know, spiritual warfare. I said, okay. Uh, I said, what were you praying? And they said, we were praying the love of Jesus. And I said, oh, that's your problem. <laughs> and they're like, what? And I said, look, there's power in the love of Jesus, right? Yes, the love of Jesus is good, but that's not how you defeat the enemy. What is it? The blood and here's what happens. They were younger, a little bit younger than me. Nobody had ever taught them. Nobody had taught them. And so here they're going, oh, Lord, we pray the love. Meanwhile, the enemy's like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I'm like, you say the blood because that is when Satan was defeated. Through the shedding of the blood, that changes things. What we do with our kids is we do this and, and we, we teach them, okay, so Noah took the animals into the ark two by two by two, right? And then they go to school. Here, stand up because I like your beard and you're, you're, and you're not short. Okay, so you tell me that God's not, real. God's not real. And I say, okay, well, the animals went into the ark two by two by two. <laughs> Do you get it? 
Okay, you can eat that if you want. No, no, okay. Okay, um, let's see. Um, so you tell me that you are God. <laughs> you be careful, lightning might get you. You, oh, you do. Oh, brother. Okay. <laughs> Follow the rules. Okay. So he says, I've got it. And I say, well, I know the books of the Bible in order to a very catchy song. <laughs> right? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. These kids are, you can sit down. He did a great job. Here, Daniel, go ahead and take one and pass it around. And everybody needs a marshmallow in the morning. <laughs> if you drink coffee with your marshmallow, your mouth will foam up because it's, Probably not healthy for you, but again, that can't be good. But do you get what's happening? Our kids go to their schools, they go to their community, and they have no tools to do battle. They don't, okay, well, uh, um, okay, well, Adam and Eve on day one, God made son. I, I mean, that, now I'm mocking us a little bit, and please hear me say I'm mocking us. I've done ministry like that for years. I have. And part of it was ignorance, and part of it was it's just what I thought I was supposed to do. I thought I was supposed to teach these songs. You know, I thought, well, if the kids can say it loud and proud in front of mom and dad, I have done my job. But what I found happen was I raised up a generation, kids out of my ministry who knew the right answers but didn't know Jesus. And then they walked away. They knew all the right answers. The information wasn't the problem. And so what I want us to think about is this next slide, this idea of church and home should be battle preparation. Can we switch our view of what ministry looks like? This is not where you come in and you get safe. Yes, we want you to feel safe. This is where you come in and you get prepared. You get prepared, right? So then when you go out into the world, you're prepared for it. So many, nobody likes to be surprised, and kids especially have a really hard time when, when, when what they're hearing does not work with what they're seeing. It's so difficult for them. They can't make that connection. They would rather, and I will tell you, because I know kids, and I know their hearts, they would rather you would be honest with them than that make them feel good. I was six years old, and I went in for my kindergarten shots. I remember this distinctly. And I knew I was going to get kindergarten shots, but everybody treated me like I was dumb, okay? So I come in, and the nurse is like, oh, look at the sheep on the painting there. Can you count the sheep? And I'm like, something shifty is going on here. And I remember counting the sheep, knowing something was not right. And while I'm counting the sheep, what does she do? She jabs me. I screamed bloody murder. I just, it didn't hurt at all. I was so mad. I was so mad. I felt like I'd been lied to. I think so many of our kids today feel that way. Our teenagers are walking away in droves from the church because they're going, nobody told me. Nobody prepared me. It's like they get shot in the arm or shot in the butt and they didn't know it was coming. That's on us. We've got to do better preparation with them. If we're going to disciple world changers, if we're going to raise up a generation that changes the world instead of the world changing them, we've got to prepare them. We have to prepare them for what that looks like. So how do we do that? Let's keep going here. Um, who we are matters. Oftentimes we like to go right to like, well, how do I do it? Here's the reality. It starts with you. It starts with you as a leader. If you are not healthy as a leader, if you are not usable of God, it is not going to work very good. God desires to use you, but he does not need you. He doesn't need you. Some of you think he needs you. I think he needs me sometimes. Lord, here's what I'm going to do. Would you bless it? Lord, I'm ready. 
Do you want to come with? He doesn't need me. He will work over, under, and around you if he has to. But if you put yourself in a usable position, it changes things. So who we are matters. Authenticity matters. The number one tool I would give you for reaching this generation is being authentic, being real with them. You guys, this generation sees nothing that's real. Everything is a filter, right? I can take a picture of you right now from up here. Y'all are going to look skinnier, okay? Some of you are like, do it. (laughs) I can put a filter on it that makes you look less tired and not like you were just crying. Some of you are like, do it, (laughs) right? And and we go, well, it's instant, but is it real? Is it true? Is it authentic? I was speaking at a church out east, and I was consulting. Sometimes I come in as like a secret shopper. Uh, not so much anymore, but I came in just to check out the church. They said, we can't get visitors. To, we can't retain them. Can you help us out? So I said, sure. So I come in just as a visitor. I'm wearing cowboy boots and a dress. I thought it was appropriate. I was not dressed appropriately. The pastor meets me in suit and tie and cufflinks and like a, and he's a very tall man. I said, oh, you must be Don. He said, it's Pastor Sergeant. And I'm like, oh, my word. <laughs> aye, aye, Captain. And so I said, oh, Okay. Well, everything about this church was just just struggles, right? Struggles. I mean, everything that was going on. And they told me, they said, we'd like you to speak in the, in the service. You have 15 minutes. And I'm like, oh, it's not going to work. Um, like, nothing about this church is going to be able to handle what I have to say. Like, I'm going to blow the doors off them. And so I'm sitting there asking God. I, honestly, I think this is the one time I've prayed the most for God to either take me or give me divine <laughs> wisdom. <laughs> which I will gladly gift you with that prayer. Lord, take me or give me divine wisdom. And so I'm praying and then I'm like, oh, I'm still here. Okay. Um, So I'm walking up on stage and I'm going, God, what do I say? What do I say? And God just speaks to me and he says, you just do your thing. I'm like, that is super vague. Like, I need a little more than that. But I was like, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, do what I do. So I get up there and I start talking to them. They're a small church, very, very much an older church in a lot of ways. And you see the different people. Some are nodding off because they're 120 years old. And bless them, they lived a life. You nap. And then you have some that are just kind of like, there's a woman in cowboy boots up on that stage right now. She's a young whippersnapper. And then you have some that are kind of into it, right? So I'm talking about how God desires to use the church and here's how you can reach your neighbor and, and what if you open the doors and I'm just kind of, I'm going at it, right? So I walk off and I'm like, oh Lord. <laughs> walk out, this girl follows me, 15 years old. She follows me and she says, Miss Mel, can I talk to you? I said, sure. And she said, um, you talked about cutting when you were up there. And I was like, I did. <laughs> I don't remember that. And she said, yeah, you, you said that kids are cutting themselves. And I did. I, do you, I have third and fourth graders that are cutting themselves. Like, and I'm sorry, church, we don't have to like it, but we do have to be aware of it. And so she said, I've been considering cutting myself. I said, oh, okay, all right. She goes, actually, Miss Mel, every night I put my pillow over my head and I try to quit breathing because I hate my life. And I went, oh my word. So I talked with her. The pastor's wife was overhearing this. After we're done talking, she comes to me and she says, she's been coming to our church her entire life with her grandma, and we didn't know her story. And I said, you have an authenticity problem. Here's the reality. Authenticity is always returned with authenticity, always. And if you wonder, why won't kids talk to me? It's because you're not talking to them. You're not being authentic. 
She saw stranger danger up on stage in cowboy boots, sweating profusely from nervousness. And she thought, I can talk to her. And she cleared away everybody she knew because she said, I know her. I can talk to her. When we're authentic, it builds bridges. It builds bridges. And they go, you you get me. I, I can talk to you. You're safe. Our kids need safe people. And here's the deal. They will talk to someone. Wouldn't you rather it was you? They will go somewhere else. If the church does not step up and stop hiding behind our good feelings and how we think everything should look neat and clean, and we go, okay, let's meet you where you're at. And so authenticity matters. If you're not authentic, your ministry is not going to go far. It's just not. This generation does not want fluff and nonsense. They've had enough of it. I'm speaking at a camp, and um, the kids are always allowed to ask. I've done 35 camps in the last six years, so somebody needs to send me a gift card for, like, a pedicure, okay? <laughs> and so I, I'm at this camp. The kids are always allowed to ask me anything they want so I can build connection with them. It's how, it's how I begin to build a relationship so they'll listen to me because kids today don't listen to us because we're adults. Have you out? Yeah. Isn't that precious? <laughs> Remember the days when they used to? There was a respect, like, oh, the adult speaking. Now it's like, you're not the boss of me. I had a five-year-old tell me that. You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to say. And I thought, I could sit on you and kill you right now. (laughs) Like, I I literally had that thought. I wouldn't even feel you under me. But they're just like, you can't tell me what to do. Here's the reality. They're saying, you don't know me. And until you know me and I know you, you don't earn any right to tell me what to do. So they ask me whatever they want. Is what's your favorite color? Have you ever ridden a horse? And do you go to the ocean? Are you married? Do you want to marry me? You know, all this stuff. And then this kid way in the back is raising his hand. And you know the obnoxious kids? The ones who are like, <laughs> those are the ones I ignore. And so I ignored him for four days. True story. Finally, the last day, he comes up to me at breakfast. He's like, will you please call on me? And then I felt conviction. I was like, yes, I will. So he's, so I call on him. And I'm thinking, I just, in my head, thought it was going to be a dumb question. And he looks at me in all seriousness. And he, he gets serious, and I see his face. And in my heart, I'm like, oh, no. And he says, Miss Mel, when is the last time you doubted God and you wanted to walk away? Oh, man. Dumb kid. I was like, that's why I didn't want to call on you. But you know what? He was the only kid who was actually able to verbalize because kids aren't great about verbalizing. He was able to say, this is what we need to hear from you. We don't care what your favorite color is. What's God been doing in you lately? When have you wanted? And as I shared with him in authenticity the last time I doubted God, you could watch him just go, okay. And it was a holy moment. It was a holy moment. I just thought, oh my goodness, this is a big deal. I will never forget that moment. I don't think he will either. They are dying for authenticity. Who we are matters. If we're gonna disciple world changers, it starts with us. And we have to be willing to be authentic. I, te- I taught a whole seminar yesterday on story. Big point there, allow God to redeem your story. A lot of you are not willing to be authentic because you go, you don't know my story. But you know what? God does. He knows every bit and he's redeemed you and called you by name. Therefore, you do not hide what you've done in the past. And you go, okay, God, use this. God redeems our story when we use what Satan intended for evil and we bring it to the light. 
Now you use proper boundaries with kids. I understand that, but you do not hide behind the facade where you don't know my, you don't know what was done to me. You don't know what I did. You are loved by God. You are accepted for who you are. Your sins have gone as far as the east is from the west. And it's so much more important that kids see you walking out in authentic faith in the midst of knowing you've done wrong than seeing you just have the perfect faith. That always looks great. They need to see you be authentic. Next thing is this, who we are matters. We need to strive for health. And when I say health, I don't mean perfection. But we do need to be striving towards intentional health. Some of us work with kids, and I I don't think very many of you in the room are probably like this, but you know people. They work with kids because they cannot work with adults. And it's not just because the adults are scary. (laughs) Do you know people like this? There's... (laughs) Somebody back there. I mean, not us, right? Um, and I don't know. There's something about children's ministry that attracts the weirdos too, okay? <laughs> we can just be really honest. Like the weird, odd, forgotten God squad is what we call them. Like here they come. And part of it, I think, is because they're at an emotional level that is just about here and that's as far as they can go. We have to be striving for health. Kids today don't need to see us be perfect, but they do need to see us working on things. And it is so much more important that they see us working on it than having it all together. And part of that ties in with authenticity. Do you know it's okay if a kid knows you struggle? It's okay. I was at another camp about three or four years ago, and the kids line up to tell me their stories. And, and it's, it's great because authenticity breeds authenticity, but it's hard because it like ch- chunks my soul sometimes. And this was one of those days, and kid after kid, just horrid, horrid stories. And the last one gets up, and she says to me, Miss Mel, um, I know Jesus, but I want a different life. And she said, my dad's in jail. My mom's been deported. I live with my grandparents. My grandpa's dying. Nobody wants me, Miss Mel. Where am I going to go? And she said, I just want a different life. I know Jesus loves me. And I looked at her, and I was so angry in that moment. Not at her. You know who I was angry at? God, I was angry. I was like, God, how do you expect me to preach out of your word what I know to be true and then how somehow make it work with this mess? I don't know, but this is not working for me anymore. But I did the right thing, right? I prayed with her, we talked, you know, all that. I get in my car after she leaves and I start bawling. You know, the ugly cry, not the cute, like, oh, it's like, Bleh. and so I'm like sobbing, bent over my steering wheel and I'm yelling at God going, I'm so mad at you. I'm so mad at you. And they said, but I choose to trust you. Oh, it's like, I felt like I was living out the Psalms, you know? I'm so mad, but I trust you. And so I'm like, I trust you. I choose to trust you. I go back to my room and I tell the Lord I'm done. I'm quitting my job. I said, God, you take my anointing. I'm tired of being anointed. I'm tired for all the, like, I'm done. Quit my job, email my prayer team because I thought maybe I'm not in a good spot right now. (laughs) Ask them to be praying. (laughs) And so... So the next morning I get up, it's chapel time, right? Miss Mel's gonna speak and I'm in the back and they're calling me up and I'm fighting with God in a split second, right? I'm like, "Mm mm-mm, I quit last night. I believe I told you that. (laughs) And I'm standing there and God's like, get up there. And I'm like, I am not, I am done with this whole situation. (laughs) And God says, sometimes God has to be a little harsh with me. And he's like, you get your butt up there. And I didn't know that he could say butt, but he did to me. (laughs) And so I was kind of one of those like, yes, sir. (laughs) So I get up there and I see all these kids staring at me, right? And you're just like, do you ever just feel the weight of the ministry that God's given you? Oh my goodness, you guys, it was so heavy and I didn't want it anymore. 
And partly that was because I was doing it out of my own flesh and I'd forgotten I wasn't God. But I just felt the weight and they're all looking at me. And in that moment, I just said, you guys, I had a really bad night. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I love hearing your stories, but they hurt, woo, they hurt my heart. And they make me question sometimes why God lets things happen. And I know he's good and I know he loves us, but sometimes I don't like the way that he is doing things. So I told God last night I was mad at him. And in the, as soon as I said that, all the kids collectively went, <gasps> <laughs> and it was like, God was like, there you go. Here's your gift from heaven. And I like, boom, mantle on. Did you know it's okay to be mad at God? <laughs> and they're like, no, I'm like, let me tell you. And God opened the doors in my brokenness and in my authenticity and in my striving for health. And I swear a little mini revival happened there. And kids began to tell God what they were thinking. And I said, God cares more about your heart than he does about the, the attitude that you put on. He wants to know where you're really at. And they began to say, God, I'm angry about this. God, why are you letting this happen? God, are you real? Will you show me? I don't understand that's ministry. That's where real life happens. I don't need kids who go, I'm a C, I'm a C, H, I'm a C, H, R, I, S, C, I, N, and I have C, H, I mean, that's great. It's a fun song. It's super fast, but I need kids who are going, I don't understand what God is doing, but I will trust him. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's what changes things. Who we point to matters. We've got to point them to Jesus. And I want to clarify here because a lot of times we think, that we need to point, and I don't think we do this intentionally, but we point to ourselves. If you need prayer for anything, you just come to me. If you have any questions, I'm here to help. If you need it, and, and that's not a bad thing, okay? Because we are discipling. But what happens sometimes is we are in danger of creating disciples out of ourselves. Ooh, guys, that's scary. Boy, I, I, I am not looking to make a disciple out of myself. I'm not, in fact, that's like put up your lightning rod, Okay? I want to make a disciple out of Christ. I want them to begin to understand that they go to him with their questions. They go to him with their prayers. What does that look like? I don't know if I have this on the slide, but um, let me stop one second to say this. Transformation over information is really important. Clarifying that, a lot of times what we're graded is information. Giving kids information. You need to know the books of the Bible in order to a song. You need to know the Romans road. You need to know this, this, and this. Uh, you need to know, um, you know, the chronological Bible. Okay, that's great. That's a lot of good information, right? But if it's not transformative, it really has very little effect. If I tell kids, boy, if you play in the freeway, you could get smashed like a bug. It's bad. And the kid still goes plays in the freeway, we've missed the mark somewhere, right? There's got to be a connection point between information and transformation. And what I think we've done for too long as a church is we've focused on information with forgetting the transformation part. You can't have one without the other and actually have it be effective. If it's all information, you have kids, like I said, who walked away knowing all the right answers but didn't know Jesus. If you focus so much on transformation, it's I have all these feelings, but I have no substance. And that's where a lot of our millennials are today. They're growing beards, wearing skinny jeans, brewing their own coffee, playing guitar, writing songs, going, I'm feeling things, but they don't know what they're feeling. They could have had a bad burrito, <laughs> right? And they're going, well, I, I just can't do the church anymore. I still, I, you know, I believe there's maybe a God, but they don't have the substance, 
So we've got to find that balance of transformation over information. We've got to give them Jesus. One of the things I do when kids come up and they want to pray is I always say this. This is my rule. I pray you pray. I pray you pray. Because I do not want them to think that they have to come to me in order to pray. So I go, you know what? I'll pray with you, and then you're going to pray. Oh, but I don't, I don't pray out loud. Well, you do now. Well, I just, I mean, I'm just not very comfortable. I love that kids know that, how to say that. Now, I'm just not very comfortable. I'm like, that's okay. God understands. You're still going to tell him. And I make them pray. And some of you are like, I can't believe she would. It's, you know what? They're fine, okay? They're speaking to their father, their heavenly father. They're going to live, okay? And I'll even do this. You can whisper it under your breath, or I'll even turn my back so I'm not even looking at you, but you're going to pray. What happens, honestly, I think chains break when kids start to pray. I really do. And I think this, this fear that they have begins to break away, and they go, I can pray. So I'll go, let's pray. The other thing I do is when they find Christ, we always, I ask them to say a prayer of thanksgiving, it almost like it stamps and solidifies what God's been doing in their heart. And their prayers of thanksgiving for what God's done in their heart blows me away every time. Blows me away. I've even stopped at my camps. Um, I don't do altar calls so much as I just go, hey, God has something to say to you, you know, work it out in your heart. And then I don't do them, um, I don't do a, okay, I want you to repeat after me. Because I find that when you do the repeat after me, it becomes a rote type of thing. And then the transformation isn't really as easy. So anymore, this last summer, I just said, I think some of you are ready to start a relationship with Jesus. That's how I describe finding Christ, starting a relationship. I don't put any friends forever. I don't fluff it up. You're starting a relationship with Jesus. If that's something you want to do, go ahead and tell God that. He cares more about your heart than he does about the words that you say. And so kids begin to do that. And you know what? They do it better than I could have ever done it because the Holy Spirit's at work in them. And that's a really cool thing. Before I speak, I always tell kids, look, prepare your heart. God has something to say to you today. God's at work. God wants to speak to you. And, and you know, you've got to be careful saying speak because kids are like, I don't hear him. And so I always explain what that could look like. Or I'll say, God wants you to learn something new today. Prepare your heart. We've gotten away from helping kids understand that they have a purpose and a mission and a role in their relationship with Christ. It's not just about you come to church once a week and you read your Bible or you keep your Bible on your bedstand. It's about you step into it and go, God, what do you want to say to me? And you listen for him. And then I always end when I'm done with time for them to respond to what God is saying. Because we've got to point them back to Jesus over and over and over again. At the end of a camp, I don't want them to go, Ms. Mel was awesome. I hope they don't even remember my name. I want them to walk away going, I love Jesus. I learned so much about how God loves me. Man, did you know this? Did you know this? That's what I want them to know. I don't care if they know my name. I love them dearly, but do you understand the difference? I am not God in their life, and I don't want that role. I don't want that role. We also need to point them, this is going to seem really simple, but point them to the Bible. We've got to point them to the Bible. Anytime <clears throat> I do scripture with kids, I always go, I always preach right out of the Bible and I actually hold a Bible. Now, I'm not saying that's a denominational thing. I'm not saying that's my own personal thing. What it is, is I want them to see that I'm reading it out of the Bible. And then I make them follow along in their own Bibles. And sometimes we're just finding Bibles, you know, like get everyone a Bible. Why? Because I believe there's power in a kid seeing that this is God's word and that I'm not making it up. We've raised up a lot of little robots who don't know how to think for themselves, they begin to think for themselves when they go, oh, this really is in the Bible. The other thing that happens is they go, this is exciting. I didn't know it said blood that many times in that story. 
That's great. I did David. Um, I pick a different Bible character each summer. And last summer I did, uh, or two summers ago, I did David. And we didn't get to Bathsheba because I was trying to work that out in my own conviction of how to fix that with kids, you know? And so, but my older kids, I, all of them, I say, just keep reading, keep reading. Well, I'd get a couple texts. Uh, Miss Mel, have you read about this bath woman? <laughs> because they're reading ahead going, oh dear. But if we believe that this is the inspired word of God that is living, breathing, and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, there's nothing in here that is not useful. And there's nothing in here that a kid doesn't need to hear. And so we want to get them into it. We want to point them to the Bible. I always tell kids, this is God's word. It's true and it's history. It's God's story. And it's historical because it's what happened back here, but it's also what's happening up here. And did you know that you're a part of God's story today? God's story is still being written. And it's being written in you. And your choices affect the story. And how you live your life affect the story. And this is where you go. This is where you go to truth. You point them back to the Bible. You point them to Jesus. You put them to the Bible. And I'm always trying to get them to enter into God's story. Find their place in his story. Get into it. I want kids to walk away not going, boy, I really want another star on my chart because I want prizes. I am, oh my word, you guys, stop giving kids prizes for reading their Bible. Stop it. Stop it. You want them to fall in love with God's word. When they fall, when you fall, okay, I've recently fallen in love, you know, the love bubble situation. I really like just about everything about him, except a couple things, but it's nothing I'm going to share here. Um, <laughs> but he's probably watching online right now. Hi, honey. Um, but I want to know him. When you fall in love with someone, don't you just want to spend time with them? Don't you just want to be with them? If kids fall in love with God's word, they go, I want to read this. Then they come to church going, Miss Mel, did you read about this one? This is so cool. At another camp, like four years ago, I come out from the dining hall, much like here at Ridgecrest, walk out, and on, um, on the porch are two boys reading a Bible. And I literally walked out, and I was like, and then I looked for a camera. I was like, is someone videoing these children? Why are they doing that? And, and so, and no, no camera. So I go up, and I'm like, excuse me, um, what are you doing? <laughs> and they, like, didn't want to talk to me. They're like, Miss Mel, we're reading our Bible. I'm like, well, that's what it looks like. And I'm like, oh, dear Lord, they found Song of Solomon. <laughs> what am I going to do with that? And so I said, what are, you, what are you reading? And they said, well, we're reading in Daniel, which is what I'd been preaching on. I said, why are you reading? They're like, Miss Mel, chapel is next, and we have to know what's going to happen. And I was blown away. I go around the corner. There's another boy sitting by himself on the stairs reading his Bible. What are you doing? I'm reading my Bible. I have to know what's going to happen next. Those are kids who get excited about God's word. And you know what? Don't tell me that boys can't fall in love with God's word. That is that crap word again that I just said out loud again. <laughs> they can fall in love with God's word and they can get excited about it. This is not a women's only type of love, right? Boys fall in love with God's word and they're transformed. It's so exciting. Okay, I'm gonna ask you this. I'm gonna make sure I'm on time here. Okay, if you could tell your kids, okay, I want you to think about the kids you minister, even your own kids, only three things about God that would sink deep into their souls forever, what would those be? And here's what I want you to think about. It's really easy to go to a, like, uh, well, Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Okay, that's great. But does that help them when life gets hard? Okay, and, and, and yes, well, we go, yeah, it does, maybe. But what 
do you want to sink deep? If they have a phrase that runs over and over and over in their head in those dark times, when they've walked away, what do you want those to be? Turn to your person for just a minute. You're gonna be like, we cannot do this right now. You can't. But you know what? Write down this question and you as teams, this is where you sit for a while and you think through this. So I want you to turn to your people for just a minute and maybe just mull over two things and then we'll turn back because so you've got like two or three minutes to do that. Just do some thinking about that. And I want to challenge you to think outside the box. Don't go for the quick Sunday school answer. You don't have to whisper. You can talk out loud to each other. That's fine. Just as it gets louder and you begin to get really into it, I'm stopping you, okay? Does that make you think a little bit? It's not easy, is it? And it shouldn't be easy. And I'm not even gonna tell you, I'm not even gonna ask for what you're thinking about because I guarantee you probably still need to go a little deeper with it. And you should, this isn't a quick like, oh, I can do that in five minutes. You gotta think through this. For some of you, it's gonna come from your own experience. You know, like one of the things that I always think about is what do I wish I had learned as a kid? What do I wish for when, you know, when my, um, like my second mom, when she had that affair with my second dad, like, okay, when, when that, what do I wish I had known about? Like, what do I wish was going through my head? It's going to look different. And it should look different. We don't need churches to grab onto one thing and do it everywhere. We need people to figure out, churches to figure out how to contextualize for where you are at, what works for you in your context with your people. Too often we go, this is a new book. I'm going to take it, swallow it whole, and replicate it. And then we go, well, that didn't work. That's because, I mean this in the nicest way, any idiot can do that. Y'all are not idiots. Use your brain and go, this is good. There's some really good pieces. Let me pull that, adapt that, and make that work for where we're at. 
That matters more. But this is where you start. And you know what? I think um, I go to, I talk to people all the time. They go, we just don't know what our vision or our mission is and what we're trying to do. And some of you go, I haven't even ever thought about that. <laughs> we're, just, we're just buying the next curriculum and just trying to make things happen. You need to have purpose behind what you're doing. You need to think about where you're aiming. You got to go, okay, just like the bow and arrow, you got to be aiming at something. You might hurt someone if you're not, or you might never get anywhere if you're not. But this is where you sit, and as a team, you sit and go, what do we care about? And then here's the clue for you. This is what you do. You repeat those three things over and over and over and over and over again. So those kids that come just twice a month, they hear the same things. And you don't look for curriculum that fits your three things. You tell your curriculum how to fit in with those three things. You steer the ship. The curriculum doesn't steer the ship. When I go to camp, one of the things kids will tell you, and I say it over and over and over again, and the adults that I teach say it over and over again, my counselors that are now married will call me and be like, that came up again. One of them is this, God's plans for me are always good, but they don't always feel good. That's one thing that we repeat over and over and over again. And what happens is it reminds them when things hit the fan at home, God's plan are still good, but it's okay if it doesn't feel good. We don't need a soft Christianity for kids where everything feels good and you can, there's unicorns and lollipops and happiness all the time. And then the little girl goes home and her dad's in prison because he got caught for drunk and drunk driving again. And this time he's been put away. She called me two hours after I left camp. I always give kids my card so they can call me, text me, whatever. She says, Miss Mel, my dad's in prison. I think this is one of those times where God's plans don't feel good. Yeah. Part of me was like, yes! And I was like, not for your dad, but I'm so glad you're remembering that. What do you want to sink deep into their soul? What do you want it to do? It's got to be truth that connects them with the heart of the Father. Information that doesn't connect kids with the heart of the Father is pretty much pointless. It pretty much is. So you want to connect them. I'm always looking for what kind of character of God do I want these kids to know? And can I challenge you on this as well? Would you please teach your kids solid theology? Stop teaching them fluff. Stop giving them marshmallows to go into battle with. They need solid theology. They need to know. And you can teach deep truths in a way that kids can understand. You can do it. And kids can take deep truths so much better than we give them credit for. They are so hungry for it. What I love when I do these camps is when I go to the same camp year after year, and I, you know, I usually have like, a, like third, fourth, and fifth graders, and I'll get them from third all the way to fifth grade through the years. You know what? Every time I go back, we get to go deeper. They're ready for it. They can handle it. They can handle the deep stuff. And in fact, they are dying for somebody to interact with them on that deep level. I ask kids all the time, how many of you lay in bed at night and have questions about God? And they will tell me, all of them will tell me all the time, Miss Mel. And then they come to church and we go, you're going you're gonna to glue these cotton balls onto this little stick figure and this is going to be a sheep. Isn't that cute? Sheep are, because God's our shepherd. Okay, now I'm mocking us again and I hope you're okay with that. Some of you look angry or you're hangry. Get the marshmallows out, pass them around. They're coming asking big questions of God. Where is God? Is he real? I had a kid, how do I fully die to myself? Goes to church, two by two by two. That, I think at some point, kids begin to just go, well, I'll just give up then. Nobody meets me where I'm at, so I guess I'll just drop down to the level of the adults. 
How dare we make them drop down? Hello. Man, I set the bar high. You can jump for it. And I, I always teach a little above the kids. I just do. Because kids love a challenge. I'd rather them try to jump than try to go, oh, this is so boring, and step over it down here. Make them jump for it. Teach them solid theology. Take them back to that. One of the things we do, I do over and over is he sees you, he knows you, he loves you. You decide. He sees you, he knows you, he loves you. You decide. We do it over and over again. You know repetition works with kids. I know it makes you want to kind of like die, but it works with kids. Boy, I want them to go home, and I want them to be thinking that. He sees me. He knows me. He loves me. I decide. I decide what I do with that. What we teach matters. How we disciple matters. How we disciple matters. Discipleship is probably the messiest thing we'll ever do. And I know when it comes to something like a big word like discipleship, don't you want like a clear seven-point outline? Here's how I disciple. Guess what? You're not going to get one. And actually, I'd be real scared if somebody gives you one. Because I have yet to find discipleship that looks the same across the board. It is messy, and it doesn't stop at a certain age. Sometimes we think, well, I'm in children's ministry, so once you graduate to youth group, I'm done. That's not discipleship, and that's icky. Stop doing that. Then these kids go, well, I had this relationship with you through my formative years, and now you're done with me? Discipleship is messy, and it's also intentional, you do it on purpose. And it's, you guys, it's so messy. Do, I, there's stuff that happens and I'm like, I never thought I was going to, I didn't realize. <laughs> oh, I had one of, my, one of my gals who, I've been her children's pastor since she was eight. She's 20 now. And I'm still, she still considers me her children's pastor. And she called me, or I met with her and her boyfriend and they were living together. And we just talked about it. I said, tell me about this living together thing. She goes, yeah, I knew you went like that. And I said, well, let's talk about it. So we're talking about it. Well, then they begin to fight. And so she calls me, you know, a few weeks later because they're fighting. I end up doing like marriage counseling with a girl living with her boyfriend. And I'm going, this is not how it's supposed to be. And yet also how it's not supposed to be is for me to go, you're living in sin. Don't call here again right? It's messy. It's not clear cut. It was awkward. <laughs> excuse, excuse me. I finally just said, walked her through it. And then I said, Emily, you know, you know, you're not supposed to be doing this. And I love you no matter what, but it's not going to get a lot easier until you start doing what you know you need to do. But I'll love you no matter what. It's it's messy. And then it's intentional. You got to do it on purpose. You cannot think that discipleship is going to happen by osmosis. Like, well, if I just show up and make sure they have crafts and glue sticks and cookies every week, they're going to get discipled. No, they're going to eat glue. Okay? It ha- you have to be intentional. You have to think about what you're doing. Last thing is this, how we disciple matters. How we disciple matters. And, and um, you know, Dale related a little bit to this yesterday as well. Kids today need a place where they can ask the hard questions. Because they have the hard questions. And the church for too long has said, you're not welcome here with those questions. And part of it is we don't know the answers. Part of it is it makes us uncomfortable. And part of it is we don't talk about that at church. Why? Why? Walking with Christ is a lifelong, integrative into every part of my life journey 
We absolutely have to talk about it. Kids today, when we disciple them, need a safe place where they can wrestle with hard questions. And you don't always have to have the answer. You don't always have to have the answer. In fact, sometimes when you don't have the answer, it's the best thing. I'll end with this story. It was um, another camp. I, all my camp stories. I do VBS too, and I, um, but my camps are the best stories is where I get them. And so I'm at this camp, and the kids are asking their questions, you know, right? I got a question. The little girl goes, um, yeah, okay, so what's the meaning of life? I'm like, oh, man, I got to stop letting them ask questions, right? And so I said what anyone would do. I said, we're going to talk about that tomorrow, actually. <laughs> lies, 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 you know? So, okay, so she, you know, we leave, and I, I, it's an overnight camp. I go back. I start walking. I'm on the gravel road in Nebraska. Corn is taller than me. I'm like, oh, Lord. What is the meaning of life? You know, and I'm like, go, give me wisdom. I'm calling pastors. I'm, I'm in the word. I'm, I'm, I'm on the internet because that's always safe. And I'm like, okay. And so I get it together, right? And I have a three-point outline for the next day. Here's the meaning of life. I get up and as I walk up, I try to be as prepared as possible. And what else? Interruptible. I walk up and God goes, you need to be quiet. And I was like, Rude. Like, I worked really hard on this. And so I said, okay, who remembers the question from yesterday, hoping they had forgotten? Of course they hadn't. They're all like, what's the meaning of life? And I, and God says, you need to be quiet. So I like, I have my notes open and I'm like, fine. And so I said, okay, let me ask you something. Um, what makes me matter? What, why am I important? Oh, Miss Mel, you speak. You tell us about the Lord. You know, all the good Sunday school kids. And I said, okay, yeah. So what if I couldn't speak anymore? And they're like, um, oh, well, you could write. Okay, yeah, so maybe I write. Great. What if I can't write anymore? We, we keep going. And I'm sad to say at the end of this, I've become a vegetable, okay? You know, like, I'm on a breathing tube. I have no mental capabilities at all. <laughs> Flat out dead, basically, but still breathing. And so I said, do I matter? And they said, yes. And I said, why? And they all went silent. And God said, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. And I'm like, but Lord, but Lord, but Lord. <laughs> And I'm like, divine wisdom for the children. Give them the wisdom. And I thought, oh, I don't know what to say. I said, why do I matter? And they're thinking and they're thinking. They're kind of talking. Finally, one boy in the back goes, I think I know. I'm like, oh, I hope you do. And he goes, I think, Miss Mel, I think you matter because you matter to God and because God created you. And so you matter. And I said, stand up and say it louder. <laughs> and he said, you matter because God created you and he loves you. And you matter because you matter to God. And I said, yeah, that's the meaning of life. We matter to God. And he went, they, the whole group went, oh. <laughs> they are dying. You guys, this generation is asking big questions. And we don't have to have all the right answers. We don't have to have all the answers, but we do need to facilitate where it's okay. What happens as we disciple world changers is that they get faith that sticks, that they don't walk away. And you know what? We all walk away at one time or another. You read Hebrews 11, the great chapter of faith. Every one of these great men and women had a season. We're all going to have our seasons, but how we disciple these kids and prepare them for the season matters. I'm going to end with a few notes here. Thank you for being with us every hour of every day, even when we don't feel like it. Boy, isn't that good truth to have sink deep into a kid's soul. I pray for my friend who does not believe in God and I want him to find him in his life. Please pray. That's truth. That sinks deep. God, you need control of me all the time, even when I have time that I want just for me. 
Last one says this. God, I trust you to work in my life even when it's hard. Oh, man, I have great hope that those are world changers. I have great hope for that. Renee, if you can just go to the very last slide. Because, keep going one more. Because I am in the love bubble, um, I forgot to bring business cards. So there is my website. I would love to come alongside you. Do whatever you need, resources, just holler. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I blog. But I'm just, you know, we're all the same. It's about the kingdom, isn't it? doesn't matter about the denomination. But can we agree collectively to disciple some world changers? Let's be intentional about it. God, I pray for this group that you would send them out from here, Lord, with intentionality. Lord, that they would walk into their ministry with new eyes, with a fresh perspective. God, that you would change them and that you would renew them and that you would use them mightily. And God, on behalf of our kids today, we plead for them. We ask you for them. May we see a generation rise up and serve you. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and institutes of children's ministry, visit our website, cogop.org children.